Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hello, hello. How are you guys doing? Are you having a good day? It has been a weird day so far. It's never boring in this place. I went outside to water all the plants and make sure that the birds and the cat was watered and fed. And I heard the sounds of a horse whinnying. Now, I know that none of my neighbors have horses. None of them that I know of. So I'm on top of a hill. So I can see the valley below me. And I see that my northern neighbor has somebody on the side of the house with a truck and a horse trailer. And there was a horse in the trailer. And I thought, oh, okay, somebody's visiting with their horse for a few minutes. And I went back into the house and eating my breakfast. And all of a sudden, I hear the horse whinnying pretty loud. I could hear it from inside. (laughs) I ran outside and I had walked over to my neighbor's wall and I peeked over the wall. And my neighbor does not have any kind of setup for horses. If you are familiar with Sanford and Son, that's pretty much what his backyard looks like. And I almost didn't see the horse, but I saw the horses behind. Oh, there is a horse over here. I'm not losing my mind. Oh, and the horse is so pretty. Beautiful horse. It was like a gray speckled horse. I could not see if it was a male or female. And the horse was tied to... The tree, big mesquite tree in the back of the yard. That's pretty much the only shade in the yard. And I looked around to make sure that horse had water. I would have had a fit if there was no water out there in this 115 degree heat. And yes, there was a big, large bucket of water. The horse looked well cared for. I talked to the horse and my sing's voice. Hey, pretty horsey. And his ears picked up and let out this huge whinny, loud as can be. I don't know if he didn't like me there or he didn't like being tied to a tree. (laughs) I don't know. He just kind of looked at me like I was from Mars. (laughs) And I went back in the house. I'm going to go get some carrots for this horse. So I'm like going around different parts of the wall to try and figure out how to throw the carrot over the wall. <laughs> it's crazy. Nobody came out to check on the horse. So I was like throwing the carrots. The carrots went near his water bucket. He didn't seem to be interested in the carrots or it was too hot to have carrots. I don't know. I came in here to do my podcast. Anyway, there was a beautiful mm-hmm. horse. While we were interviewing my guest today, I heard the horse 
making Winnie sounds again, and I heard a lot of banging around. So I'm assuming that the horse is going back into the trailer and hopefully back home where he belongs. It may have been a show horse because his hair in the front was braided and his mane was groomed. It was well-groomed. But yeah, that was the excitement today at my house. (laughs) I was getting to see a horse. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to have a great show today. It's going to be a bit different than what we usually have. The subject is on treatments for pornography. Now, we have had people on the show that talked about pornography, men and women. This time, it's going to be a little different twist to the treatment. Now, one that I have not heard before, even being in the pharmacy industry for 15 years. So if you have a porn addiction of any kind, man or woman, or maybe you have a loved one that has this problem, um, I encourage you to listen to the episode. It's very helpful. Besides porn addiction, we talk about other things about addiction and child safety. We mention the prison system. We talk about some controversial treatments. So it's going to be valuable for a lot of people. It's an uncomfortable subject. I understand that. But We are adults. We can talk about these things. We have to. That's just part of our world right now. And we need solutions. We don't need any more judgments. We need solutions. Let me read you a little bit about his bio here because he's got some terrific experience. My guest's name is Isaiah Cruz. He says, I am a board-certified psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner specializing in addiction medicine. I have experience with depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, heroin addiction, cocaine, meth, food, and porn addictions. So he has this website called No x.net that treats pornography addiction with medication via telemedicine in all 50 states. And he goes on to say, with 91% of men watching porn in the last month, listeners will be given an opportunity to seek anonymous treatment. So as you can see on that list, there's a lot of things that when they mentioned heroin and in meth, I have family members that have had those kind of addictions. Now, I don't personally know anybody in my family who has porn addictions, but I know that it exists, especially in the church. And that is one thing that I always want to talk about it in the church because it seems to be pushed under the rug. So Isaiah is a very personable fellow, very knowledgeable, and we had a fascinating conversation about all kinds of stuff today. I know that you'll get a benefit out of this podcast. So here is my conversation today with Isaiah Cruz. All right. Please welcome Isaiah Cruz to the show. Thanks for coming on today. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you today. I was really intrigued by your approach to porn addiction. It's a bit unique than the conventional way we treat porn addiction. And I've been in the pharmacy industry a long time. And so it just might get a little geeky around here. Some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, mm -hmm. but this is going to be great. So we do like to start out the podcast with something fun about yourself or what you like to do when you're not doing your work. Yeah. So I'm married. My wife is a nurse. So there's a lot of medical talk around the house. <laughs> Four daughters, age two to 11. And uh, they're pretty active. As a family, we do jiu-jitsu two or three days a week. We do that. Other than that, I like playing like uh, Nintendo with them. We play Mario Kart with the girls. And my oldest is in uh, drum lessons, doing a band. So pretty involved, just at the age where the kids are the center of the focus. Yeah. Well, we have some things in common. I've been a martial artist for 22 years. And my husband's oh, wow. a professional drummer, so. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you see the drum set behind me over here. That's a fun That's age great. when they're like in all kinds of activities. It's <laughs> fun to to at least have things to do as a family. So now we've had guests on the show to talk about porn addiction before. And mm -hmm. it's a really difficult topic because, you know, we're Christians and that's right. like taboo. You kind of just shove it under the rug and think, well, it's not the church's problem. It's not our problem. We're not supposed right. to be addicted to porn. That's not right. what... God wants for us. So why do you think the porn addiction is so prevalent today in the church? And what's going on here? It's, yeah, that's a good question because porn addiction is prevalent everywhere. And it's in the church because I call them the three A's, anonymity, access, and affordability. That makes the perfect storm because it's completely free. Nobody knows you're doing it. And you have access anywhere you go from your phone, from your computer. So that just makes a perfect storm that nobody can catch you. It's not like they see you going to the liquor store or going to buy drugs or anything like that, going to the casino to gamble. It's completely hidden. And so people can go to church, uh, watch porn on Saturday night, go to church on Sunday, and people are none the wiser. Well, that's kind of, kind of disturbing. But even divorces, I get 50%. In the church too just like out in the world yeah i'm sure porn plays a lot a big role into a lot of that which changing people's expectations for sex and all kinds of stuff i do have some statistics on christians and pornography that might be interesting of christians age 18 to 24 70 actively search for porn mm -hmm. uh, and uh, 21 percent of christian men and two percent of christian women say they might be addicted to pornography 21% of youth pastors and 14% of pastors say they currently struggle with pornography use. And uh, let's see, for Christian men age 18 to 30, 77% look at porn at least monthly. 36% look at porn on a daily basis. But uh, marriage isn't necessarily the cure-all because approximately 55% of married Christian men say they look at porn at least once a month. And I've heard this said by other guests that they were already addicted to porn before they entered the marriage, most cases. Yeah, most likely. The average age of first exposure is 11 years old, and 94% mm -hmm. of uh, children exposed to porn by age 14. 
So it's not hard, especially nowadays that, that you have internet access everywhere for that to become a quick habit. So do you think a lot of this problem with the church, do you think it's they accidentally fell on it, they Googled the wrong thing, or they intentionally have a problem where they have unmet needs or they have marriage problems or stress and they're intentionally going looking for it? For married people? Yeah, married people in general. Yeah. So by the time somebody gets married, most likely they've been exposed to porn, whether or not they use it regularly, most people at least been exposed to it. And porn is a good stress reducer because it releases dopamine and it makes you relax and feels good for at the moment. So yeah, stressors, stress is a huge trigger. And then whether it's unmet needs in the marriage sexually, which is kind of hard to explain because if there's unmet needs sexually, that means there's something else going on in the marriage. <laughs> so yes. if, if the wife isn't meeting the man's sexual needs, and it could go opposite either, but just stereotypically, that's the scenario. The chances are the wife is having some unmet needs as well. So it's more of a relationship issue, a symptom, I guess, a symptom of a relationship issue. Yeah. I know some women that they actually try to meet their husband's needs and the guy is still watching porn. Oh, yeah. So that's the thing with pornography and sexual appetite. It's never going to get filled. Mm. And, and the more, more you consume, the more you want to consume. And it, it, it comes to a point where you just have to be content. I guess find satisfaction in the marriage is a better way to put it. And, and because it's just a slippery slope. If you have sex every other day, you're going to want to have sex every day. If you have sex every day, you're going to want it twice today. And if, with that mentality, it's consumable. Mm. You have to find your self-worth and your fulfillment outside of that, obviously with the Christ and then your marital status or your marriage status, the status of the relationship plays a huge role in that. I definitely agree with that. You always hear watching porn doesn't hurt anybody, but it does because it contributes to sexual violence and sex trafficking, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of my number one concerns. I was on a podcast of a non-Christian guy, great podcast. There's nothing wrong with porn. I watch porn. And if your faith is telling you not to watch porn, maybe you should change your faith. And I was pick my jaw up from from the ground, (laughs) but it was a live show too. There was no editing. So I was like, okay. Uh, So I had to think quick, but yeah, violence against women, a huge study of thousands. I forget the number. It was probably into the tens of thousands of porn videos were observed in this study. Nine out of 10 of them had violence or aggression towards women. And almost all of them, again, almost nine out of 10 of those, the woman received it either in a positive light or neutral light. So that's edge one, promoting violence against women, but as the younger crowd, teenagers and young adults see that, they get a lot of their sexual education from that. So then they view that as normal, that it's okay to have violence in the section. And in some worst case scenarios that people enjoy the violence. And mm-hmm. I'm not one to judge, but that's not the norm. And that shouldn't be, and that shouldn't be the expectation, whether it's the giving or the receiving. It doesn't sound like it's respectful or loving to right. me. Yeah. And that's just one aspect as far as sex trafficking, a violence against women, 
And then you're hurting your partner. The intimacy is stolen. Sex is an intimate act, not something that can be taken on casually. You create unrealistic expectations for yourself or for your partner. And then your partner's self-esteem. Your partner can't match what is seen. These are actors and actresses. So it's not real. And then one other reason why it's so addicting is because a person can have whatever they want. You can look up somebody with blonde hair, brunette hair, red hair, or whatnot. Whatever your tastes are for the day, you can just have that with a couple of clicks of the button. It's unrealistic. So... Your approach, there's lots of different approaches to porn addiction. What's the typical treatment for it? Yeah, the gold standard is therapy. And I support that. I love therapy. Everybody should be in it. Everybody should have a therapist because life is hard and Christians get depressed too. And that's Mm -hmm. okay. But the gold standard is really cognitive behavioral therapy and motivational interviewing is really kind of coming up as a close second, if not taking over that first place position for the type of therapy to seek out for addictions. And uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, you should have a good therapist who's experienced with that. That is the gold standard. Again, I support that. And medication aspect is just a supplement to that. I always say medication is a tool. You still have to do all the hard work. It just so happens jobs are easier when you have the right tools for the right jobs. Okay. And so now Trexan is usually for opioid and alcohol abuse. How does that work for porn addiction? That's kind of fascinating to me. Yeah, it is. So I've been doing addiction medicine for the last six years and treating opiate and alcohol addiction and also food addiction. I've had a handful of guys come up for refills and they're like, oh, I don't use this for alcohol addiction anymore. It keeps me away from porn. And I thought that was very fascinating. And then I thought how many guys, and that takes the guts to, to say that this kind of porn addiction is embarrassing. It's shameful. Mm. It's taboo. So if they told me that, how many guys have, are taking it for this who didn't tell me? So then I looked up some medical research on it and naltrexone has been tested and found pretty efficacious for treating internet sex addiction, pornography addiction. So how naltrexone works specifically, it works in three ways. One, it makes a person less impulsive overall. Two, it helps to reduce intrusive thoughts about porn. And then three, and its biggest component is it limits the endorphin release from external stimuli. So Mm. anything from outside the body. And then the follow-up question I always get, is it going to limit the endorphin relief from the good things in life, like having sex, hugging my family, I love my loved ones? Short Mm. answer is no, it won't. It's from the external stimuli. So kind of like the Pavlovian response, when somebody knows they're going to watch porn, they open their computer. Before even porn comes up, their brain is already releasing those endorphins because they know it's coming. And that's, and then that's the snowball effect, even though the voice in the back of their head is saying, nope, you shouldn't do this. But that endorphin release just takes over and that the executive function part of the brain kind of shuts down and the middle brain takes over. So now Trexone comes on board, stops the snowball before it gets started. Not only does it make them less impulsive, reduces intrusive thoughts for porn, but when they do have to get on their computer for work or whatever, that endorphin release isn't kicking in so that those thoughts aren't flooding into your brain. Maybe I have an extra 15 minutes. Maybe I can go to that site and before work or whatnot. So that's how the naltrexone works. And we use it for porn. Other medication we use is citalopram. If someone's allergic to citalopram, we use sertraline. Really any SSRI antidepressant 
So we use it for two reasons. One, it reduces anxiety related to pornography cessation. Now, is pornography really addicting? Alcohol, you go through alcohol withdrawals, right? Same with opiates. Does pornography really have withdrawals? Not really, but maybe kind of. Some anxiety some is a biggest withdrawal symptom. So that SSRI will cover the anxiety, but it also causes sexual dysfunction decrease in libido. So oftentimes it's the single people who aren't in a relationship who aren't sexually active who will choose the citalopram to have decrease in libido. And that's how it will help with pornography addiction. Wow. And does it have any side effects? Are there any bad things about using yeah. that treatment? Yeah. So medicine isn't for everybody, but, and I'll get into the side effects here in a second, but one of the other podcasts I was on, they couldn't believe that people watch pornography every day and like all day, every day, can't leave your house. Those are the extreme cases. The illegal stuff, can't leave my house, watch porn all day, every day. Then you have the people who, like we talked about, who are Christians who watch porn once or twice a year, and then they hate themselves and they feel like a hypocrite and they just, they swear they'll never do it again. And then three months later or six months later, they do it again. Depending on how you define addiction, that person is also addicted. I define addiction as doing something that's harmful to yourself, not wanting to do it and continuing to do it. And according to that definition, they're still an addict, even though they consume porn once a year or twice a year. But if they've been doing that for 10 years and they still can't get over that, it's been five years, 10 years, medication might be an option for them. And so as far as the side effects go, there's nothing without a side effect. Water has a side effect. No. You drink water, you go pee. Let's just say it, 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 but naltrexone can be tolerated by most people. Most common when you start naltrexone, you get an upset stomach, abdominal cramping. So that comes from, uh, to uh, nerd out on you just a little bit, naltrexone is uh, attaches to the mu receptors, much like opiates does. And those mu receptors, much like opiates cause constipation because there's mu receptors in your intestines. Naltrexone attaches to those intestine, uh, mu receptors in your intestines. And that's what causes the abdominal cramping but that's neither here nor there. So abdominal cramping first day or two, fairly normal. Drinking lots of water will help to minimize that. Then for the most part, most people can tolerate the medication fairly well. Now, there are a handful of people who medication just won't work for. And there's a handful of people who will have side effects. If that falls into them, it's typically headache, dizziness, or cognitive impairment, kind of like a brain fog. Uh, But again, very, very few people have that. And then citalopram, almost half the population is already on an antidepressant. So most people either know somebody on it or have tried it. Side effects of that include everything from the GI upset, loose stools, abdominal cramping to, again, brain fog, cognitive impairment, things like that. Now, can a a teenager take naltrexone? That's a good question. The reason why I ask that is because you may have heard of Josh Duggar, who he's in the fundamental Baptist circle. And he raped his sister and some of her friends and nobody got him treatment for it. They just gave him Christian counseling. And then later in life, he got into porn. Mm -hmm. I forget what the name of the software is, but you probably know about Mm -hmm. it. But the software they put on his computer and his phone so he could not access the porn and he had some sure. accountability. He, on purpose, figured out a way to get around those controls. And he was watching not just porn, but kitty porn. 
Could yeah. the naltrexone, would that have helped him? The short answer is yes. Obviously, I can't know for sure, yeah. but uh, several medical studies uh, that says pornography is a reasonable treatment for internet sex addiction and compulsive pornography use. So short answer is yes. So my company, NoX, we, we, right now we treat 18 and up. And that's because we're a telemedicine that treats all 50 states, but I'm just one person. I have one, one other partner who's also a nurse practitioner, but we can't be licensed in all the states. So we hired mm-hmm. a third party telemedicine agency to do that for us. And they, as part of their rules, they only treat adults. There's a huge legal risk and malpractice risk for treating minors. And that's okay. one of the hurdles that we have with treating individuals under 18. Yeah, that was a tragic story, that whole thing. It, is. it makes me yeah. angry that nobody gave him any real help. So right. the problem just got worse. Right. So he was young teens. Obviously, you're accountable. But at that age, you're also a kid still. And it's up to the parents to mm-hmm. get aggressive. That's a serious offense. They need an aggressive treatment that has evidence-based um, outcomes. And that could have helped as well. Yeah, unfortunately, that religious group does not believe in actual licensed counselors or psychiatry Mm -hmm. or anything like that. It's they only have biblical counseling or pastoral counseling. That's why I asked if it was safe for teenagers. Yeah, he's going to prison. Yeah, I saw. That's outrageous. Deserves. I'm not defending him, but the whole situation is outrageous. Yeah. We need some other solutions. We need, like you say, evidence-based solutions for this problem. Because, yeah, as a child, you are innocent in some ways, but in other ways, you're not. Right. Yeah. Like you say, it's up to the parents. And if the parents don't have access to these options, then we're going to have another repeat of this sort of thing. A lot of that particular culture is they don't tell their kids about sex. There's no sex ed. They don't teach them about body part again. They don't tell the girls about their own bodies or how to say no, that kind of thing. So that kind of contributed to the whole, that whole mess. Absolutely. Now I was listening to Theology Raw podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. It's an apologetics podcast, and they had a guest on the show that talked about the ethics of using what they call now sex robots to treat porn addiction. What are your thoughts Mm -hmm. on that, if you've even heard of that? Yes, I have. And I don't know enough to give a solid statement on where I stand. So I come from the addiction world. I started treating opiate addiction, heroin addicts, cocaine addicts, meth addicts. So the hardcore drugs, and we did what we call harm reduction. So basically, we want to keep you alive today. So that way, a year from now, you could be completely sober. So I was kind of drilled in harm reduction and At first I was like, okay, AI porn, where it's not a real person or robotic sex, whatever's. I was like, okay, that's harm reduction. There's no sex trafficking. There's no violence against the people actually being in the videos. But then the more I sat on it and more I chewed on it, I was like, man, it just doesn't sit right with me either. Like it's not wrong. I think it's not as bad as using real victims, 
but it's also not right. It doesn't sit well. So again, I don't have a stance on it yet. I'm still learning more. I have heard of it. And again, it's kind of a step in the right direction, but not, it's a step out of the porn, but it's also not right. My thinking is that would feed the addiction rather than satisfy mm-hmm. it because it's like the two dogs. You got two dogs fighting and who's going to win? The dog that you feed. So That's- my thinking was when I heard that, I was like, we're not treating the the underlying problem we're still thinking about the porn we're still doing the porn so it's kind of a gray area it is about people who are for it argue that nobody's getting hurt it's a victimless crime not necessarily because a person's hurting themselves and a person's decreasing their expectations for sex with their partner they're having the sex without the intimacy, which is also mm. separating sex from intimacy. Sex and masturbating contributes to a premature ejaculation, erectile dysfunction. And then are those robots and or AI sex having violence in it? And then in that case, are those violent acts being reproduced with your partner? So it may not be the victimless crime that people say. I agree with you on that. I'm going to ask a controversial kind of a question. (laughs) Going back to the chemical side of this, the medication side of it, are you familiar with Alan's book called Enigma? Uh, There's also a movie called The Imitation Game. Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, Benedict Cumberbatch played Alan Turing. Now, He was the one who cracked the Nazi code during World War II, and he was instrumental in winning the war for the Allies. Now, he was a gay man. That was very clear in the movie. I never read the book. I just watched the movie, and he hid it from everybody. Of course, in the 40s, you could not be openly gay. So at the end of the movie... He was forced to endure government-mandated hormone therapy, like chemical. And then, of course, he got the medication, and he did it for a year. And then he committed suicide after a year. He couldn't deal with it. So I didn't know if, if you had heard of him before. I'm a huge World War II fanatic, so I watch every World War II movie out there. I thought it was really well done, but... It was really sad at the end for me that the UK, he was British, that they would do this to him because he was gay. Yeah. When I tell people I treat pornography with medication, I will sometimes get that. Oh, like chemical castration. Like, that's not what I do. (laughs) Is it interesting? And yeah, it is kind of controversial. Uh, My thoughts on it. Again, I haven't necessarily given enough thought to make a reasonable uh, uh, stand. I don't know how to say it, but like... educated opinion (laughs) yeah i guess an educated stance on it but if this person is a convicted child abuser is in regards to sex and that's putting children at risk and at that point i think the benefits may outweigh the risk there wasn't any of that with alan turing that he was abusing anybody but of course being gay that was illegal and right he had a choice of either going to prison or taking the medication and yeah that was my roundabout way of asking if there were any controversy about this type of therapy with naloxone i get the most pushback from the christian crowds i reach out to a lot of different people and i get a lot of pushback the whole premise is 
either porn's not a real addiction or you shouldn't use medication. You just need to pray more. And it's kind of sad because it's so rampant. And if it, if that would have worked, it would have worked already. Let's try something that has been shown to work evidence-based, like we said before. So I get the most pushback from the Christian crowds. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I read just yesterday, a couple of days ago, about the prisoners in Alabama. They just passed some sort of a law about using medroxyacetate uh, for sexual deviants like child rapists and exhibitionists and stuff. And that's in the Alabama prison system. I'm wondering, I didn't look this up, but are they using it in other prisons too? Yeah, that's a good question. I have no idea. You're not, you're not involved much in the prison, in the prison community, I'm assuming. No, not yet. But that is a good, uh, that is a good, uh, interesting topic that whether naltrexone could be used at, in substitution for chemical castration. Yeah, I'll tell you, one of my friends, Jimmy Hinton, who's been on the show, he's a pastor. Now, his father was a pastor and abused, raped all these children, like hundreds of children in their church and even his own children and he got caught because his daughter was talking to one of her friends who was a victim of her father's sexual abuse and so jimmy's sister remembered all of this abuse and this was when she was a very young child and she turned her father in they all did jimmy her sister and jimmy's mother they all turned him into the police and he went to prison He's in prison now for raping all these children. And I always thought that, okay, you go to prison as a a child rapist, and usually you don't last long in prison. They they beat you up or something. But Jimmy had said, no, my dad, he's a celebrity in the prison. I think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And when I go to visit him, then they all treat me like I'm some special person. And he talks to his father and his father tells him horrible, these horrible stories of how he lured all these kids to trust him and the parents to trust him. And he's never going to get out and he's not going to get parole. If anybody else has anything to do with it, hundreds of children were abused. I would be up for the prisons using chemical or medication for somebody like that. He has no remorse, has no remorse. He would do it again. And this is what Jimmy has found in his research that if he ever did get out or any other child rapist would get out a predator would get out they would go back and do it again and what they do is they go back to the churches and the churches all talk about you need to forgive you need to forgive and bring them back into the fold that's exactly what they want they want to get their trust again and they want to go back to abusing these children so i was wondering if it's ethical (laughs) to have that kind of therapy in prison for predators like that, for people that are obviously 
sick in the head, I would be all for that. And I think most people in our society would. It'd be hard to find somebody who says a child rapist should get a second chance. But like you said earlier, in World War II, people was put in jail for being gay. And most people don't believe that now and kind of frown upon that. You're right. There is some ethics behind it. But I think in our society, I I would agree. (laughs) I have four daughters and I protect my daughters pretty close. And uh, I definitely think that a child rapist like that would be a decent option for chemical castration. Now, we need to have a happy ending. We've been talking some about some really dark <laughs> stuff here. And yeah, I'm just yes. kind of throwing them at you like a fastball. Do you yeah. have a success story of somebody that's been through your program that you could tell us about? Yeah. And actually, I use this guy as an example a lot because I think it's more common to have the Christian guy who is an outstanding guy, goes to church, volunteers. And then once a month, he's left alone and slips up and watches porn. And then he hates himself after, swears he'll never do it again. And then six months later, he's there again. And that is a common story we see. And most people wouldn't say that that person's a porn addict. He just messes up every once in a while. But medication was a really good option for this guy. And it really saved him. I think he's two or three years now porn free. And that was the longest he's ever been porn free. So it's a good option. It kind of redefines what a porn addict looks like. Because you think of a porn addict, you think of the guy who just, like I said, sits there all day, every day watching porn. But that's not the case for most people. It's the same with drinking, right? Oh, I'm not an alcoholic. I only have a drink once a week. Or I only have a drink once a day after work. I only drink two drinks a day. And that's normal. As opposed to the, the stereotypical alcoholic. Yeah. So... Was there anything else that you wanted to share that that we didn't talk about? And we talked about a lot of stuff, but anything else you want to tell the folks? Yeah, I think we touched a little bit about it. 94% of kids will be exposed to porn by age of 14. Just have a talk with your kids. Let them know this is pornography. They may not have the definitions to say what it is. You use the anatomical parts. No shame in it. Because if the parents can't say penis and vagina without giggling, the kids have no hope. So just have a talk with them. There's no shame in it. They'll know this is pornography. What do you do when you're exposed to pornography? You identify it. This is pornography. And you turn away. You you go back about your business and you tell your parents. And even if it's at your friend's house. Jim Bob, Betty Sue's brother showed me this and it was pornography. And as a parent, your job isn't to freak out completely and call Betty Sue's mom yelling and screaming. Like this is, unfortunately in our society, this is what we're dealing with. So you have to arm your kids with the right tools to handle it. And that starts with the parents and not giving your kids unlimited or unmonitored access to the internet. There are adult filters. And as kids are young, eight 9, 10, 11, 12, adult filters are the best. Once they hit 13, 14, 15, 16, we usually recommend a transition to an accountability software, meaning they have access, but if they visit a site that is a little questionable, they'll send you an email. And that basically the idea is to try to train your kids for accountability and to do it to be responsible, as opposed to completely restricting all adult access. As soon as they turn 18 and move out, they're going to have a heyday kind of thing. So while they're still under your influence, give them enough rope to slip up a little. I'm glad you brought that up. We don't want to go on the other side of the pendulum where 
you don't let the kid have any kind of, you don't let them have a phone, you don't right. let them have a computer, uh, you don't let them right. do anything. And also you mentioned teach the kids some sex ed. <laughs> Yes. Give, them, give them the proper information, get over your embarrassment, because how are they going to know that somebody putting their hand on genitals is wrong unless right. you tell them that nobody should be touching right. you there. Where's there? Exactly. And so, yeah, the thing, a lot of parents are embarrassed to talk to their kids about sex. Then that the kids can pick up on that and then they know that's embarrassing. And so if you're just open with your kids, like, Hey, this is the society calls it embarrassing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be embarrassed to talk to you about it. This is life. This is what we deal with. This is what to expect. And you got to teach your kids that. So for the people I have talked to who've been exposed to porn, most common 10, 11, 12, they know what's wrong. There's something inside of them that says this isn't right, but it's so good. It feels so good. Oh, wow. This is great. But then at the same time, there's shame in that as well. So if you give your child permission to say, hey, I was exposed to porn without getting them in trouble or, or anything like that, and without an embarrassment attached to it, that will might save a lot of future headaches. Yes. Prevention is worth a pound of cure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Share with the listeners the services you provide and how they can connect with you to get help. Yeah. So like I said, therapy is the gold standard. And when we started this business, we decided not to do the therapy because there's a lot of people who do it well already. We're not, there, there's nothing groundbreaking that I'm introduced, but what we do offer medicine and most people, one, don't know medicine exists. And even most family doctors, you go to your family doctor and you say, I have a problem with porn. Most of them are just going to refer you to therapy. So we decided just to focus strictly on the medicine. I do support therapy though. So we offer two medications we discussed earlier. We do 100% telemedicine in all 50 states and Washington, D.C. In some states, it's just asynchronous. You just fill out the survey or the questionnaire and you get approved, you ship it and everything. Some states require video calls. Some states require audio. And that's just the state licenses, the state by state. So we offer medication on a monthly basis. And you go to the word no-x.net and that's in the U.S. only. And that will give you access to medications. I am available if you go to know the, the about, about us section. I do offer a free 10-minute phone call with everybody. If you want to learn more about this and you're hesitant to see if it's right, I'm happy to talk with people about that. You can go there and set up a, a visit. So that's an option as well. You can also find us on social medias as well. No, I know. Being in healthcare, being in the pharmacy, everybody wants to know if it's covered by insurance. Yes. Short answer is no. We don't do the insurance just because it's just so much of a headache. We want to bypass that. But the medication isn't terribly expensive. And if our prices are too much, you can go to your family doctor and, and see about getting it covered with your family doctor which if that's a problem, let us know or message us. If, if you're struggling with porn and, and can't afford our option, just send us an email. We'll, we'll see what we can do and make sure everyone gets the help they need. Yeah, because I used to do prior authorizations for medications. And if you get a medication and it's for an off-label reason, sometimes they won't approve it. So that was, you probably wouldn't know the answer to that, huh? Yeah, we decided not to go through the insurance yeah. route. It's just so much of a headache. Yeah. If they get a prescription for naloxone and uh, maybe submit it to their insurance, perhaps 
they would be able to get mm -hmm. covered depending on their plan. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, they might you know, be able to is, cover it. There's hope, but as you say, it's not real expensive. This has been fascinating because I I had no knowledge of using naloxone for this reason. And I wish I would have known it sooner. I've got a, a pharmacist friend I keep in touch with. I used to work with, and I'm probably gonna send him the podcast because I bet he'd be yeah. really fascinated with this treatment for the people that come into our pharmacy. Definitely stay in touch. It's been awesome having you on this show. Yeah, thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at DSW Ministries, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.